This episode is brought to you in part by The Table Podcast from the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm Daryl Bach, one of the hosts, and I invite you to join us as we discuss issues of God and culture, which includes anything and everything. Listen on your podcast app or at dts.edu slash the table. I heard about God. I heard about stuff in church, heard about stuff from people, but God always felt like the grandfather who on a good day would flip you a quarter and on the bad day, he just flip you off. Mm. I'm like, I thought that's how God was. I was like, yeah, he's just like a real weird old man that don't like you some days and some Mm. days you do. And he said, no, God wants a relationship with you. Mm. And that, I mean, bro, I tell everybody at that moment, I really believe the gift of faith was given. It felt like a warm embrace on the inside. Mm. And for the first time in my life, all of the hunting and searching, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Can I achieve this? Will I fail at that? Went away and I felt peace. This is Where You're From, a podcast for those who believe it's important to stop and listen before we speak. Join us as we ask another Christian thought leader where you're from and discover how their life experiences and expertise, even if we may disagree with something they say, offer us an important perspective that's worth thinking about. Welcome to Where You're From. I'm Russell Berry. We're all looking for a place to belong. Our clubs, cliques, crews, and all the different social media outlets promise to give us that sense of belonging with the hope that we might find our place and our people. Today, I'm talking to Reach Records hip-hop artist Tadashi, who often found himself struggling to find his people. Were they the cowboys roping at the rodeo or the MCs rapping at the school cafeteria? Did feeling left out come from being black or Samoan? Was he meant to be a band nerd or a football jock? Join me as we find out just how Tadashi found his people and his place on where you're from. My man Tadashi, where are you from? Wow, where am I from? Well, I am from the great state of Texas. I was born in Lufkin, Texas, raised uh, right outside of Houston, and eventually moved to Houston. So most people think I'm from Houston. Got it, got it. <laughs> now that right outside of Houston, that, that carries with it some implications yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah, Tell yeah, us yeah. about some of what that culture so, looks like. you know, Texas is a very, you know, it's a southern state. Mm-hmm. Therefore, it is a country place. (laughs) Houston in and of itself is country, even though it's a city, it's a country city. But I grew up in the country. So Mm -hmm. I grew up outside of Houston for many years of my life till I moved there. But there are experiences you have when Mm -hmm. you live in a country town that you don't have in other places, uh, namely your proximity to uh, certain livestock mm. that you would not engage okay. otherwise. Yes. I had a 10 gallon hat. Yes. You know, I grew up around rodeos. Yes. Like, that was my thing. I was like, yo, I'm going to go to rodeos. Uh, and like, it was a part of the culture. Wow. I love culture. So I'm like, this is what we're going to do. So I just dove in head first, bro. Wow. So like, you almost went from Jays to cowboy boots. That's like, it. I mean, for real. Like, I proudly grew up around rodeos and admiring cowboys. I was one of the kids who you had to chase a chicken and like they give you prize money if you catch it and like <laughs> or you know like run down a calf and I'm roping the calf's legs you know to you get the prize money or what have you but I just I grew up in that world bro. I've always been a person who loves culture Yeah. and I didn't know it at the time but I realize now any activity that stems from a culture I want to learn that culture. Mm-hmm. My senior year in high school I had a project I had to raise two sheep and a goat. And then we sold them at the county fair and auctioned them off, and I made money. Wow. <laughs> and the money, part I got part of it, the rest went to the school, See, but because they bought the animals. My science projects, I was messing with balloons yeah. and seeing what static <laughs> electricity can make stuff stick. You were doing, like, raising living yeah, creatures. Bro. So I was a very, very wow. interesting soul because I really, I grew up in a black home in a black environment, but I was a biracial kid. My father's Polynesian. Uh, he's Samoan, and my mom is black. She's African-American. And I found myself really unaware because I'm in the South of what a Polynesian was. Mm. So I'm left to only kind of know the black side of who I am and engage the black culture for where I was from. For me, even though all that stuff was in my world, like in my proximity, the thing in Texas is football. So Mm. you you play football. And so football was always a big deal, Mm. forever. Sunday, Saturday, during the week, it, it didn't matter. I'm going to go see Cousins play on Saturday, wow. NFL games. 
on TV and it was just a part of the culture, bro. Mm. Literally, I remember people asking me more than what you want to be when you grow up. They would go, you going to play football when you grow up? You going to play football when you grow up? It was a common question. Right. So it didn't make sense in my mind to pursue anything else other than football. So you mentioned briefly, you know, that you were more inundated in the black side of your family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned your dad is Samoan. Like, what was that relationship like? Uh, Up until I was 19, there was no relationship. Wow. My mom and my dad were in the military. They dated for a while, but were never married. He got shipped to Germany. And then she went back to Texas. But while she went back to Texas, found out she was pregnant. Uh So they just lost touch. Uh And distance, time, separated them more. Pretty soon, I'm here on the world, and I don't know who he is. I know nothing about him except what she's told me. And she never spoke negative of him at all. It's just we don't know him. Wow. So I I was I was raised under the idea that you you don't miss what you never had. Mm-hmm. So it's like, man, look, I would love to have that mansion, but you don't miss what you never had. So keep it moving. Appreciate what you do have. Yeah. And so I grew up appreciating what I had. Like, mm-hmm. man, my mom is here. I got a sister from my mom. Right now I got a stepdad that's here. So whatever. Okay, we're gonna get back to that. I right, cool, cool, pause cool, cool. on that because I want to go back. First of all, what is the name Tadashi? Because it's a unique name. You're the only mm-hmm. Tadashi I know. Mm-hmm. Where's mm-hmm. that name from? So Tadashi is actually a real word. It's a name. It's a Japanese name. Okay. So I tell everybody I'm not unique. If you went on the other side of the world, like it would be very common. But uh, my mom is a very eccentric individual. Okay. So she spells it differently. You know, she put her... Put that black girl magic on She put on her it. little black girl magic on my That's name. That's what my mom did. You know what I'm saying? Two O's. Two not O's. The U. Not the U. Two O's. And mine, she put two eyes, Not the one. Ah. She put two eyes. She's like, boom, mm. here we go. <laughs> and you're going to be different. Here yes. you go. But it's a Japanese word that means faithful, right, or true. And so I had an elder in my church one time tell me, uh, he believes that names are significant because they impact your spiritual journey while you're here. Mm. And I was like, brother, you ain't never lied <laughs> like that. I don't know what my mama thought she was doing, but this is it. That's yeah. my journey. And so, bro, I have this name growing up in Texas, of all places. I'm a biracial <laughs> child growing up in the South mm. with a name like Tadashi. Mm-hmm. I stood out like a sore thumb, bro. I stuck out like a sore thumb. And so I didn't look like anybody else around me. My hair was curly. I was more beige than I am now. Mm -hmm. Like I had slanted eyes. I had this build that was different than everybody. And so the older I got, the more I recognized that I just wasn't like people around me. And so that did a couple things. One, it made me not want to be there. But secondly, it made me stand out in a way that it brought by God's grace, the right type of attention. So growing up where I grew up, you stand out long enough, you either get picked on or you get pushed forward. I had a lot of people pick on me, but enough people pushing me forward that I felt myself propelled towards something at the Mm. end of the day. So, all right, you were an athlete. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What else? What other aspects? Yeah, yeah. So I was what I call a uh, athletic band nerd. (laughs) That is the best way I can describe it. That's like you ruined the plot of every, every high school movie. Every movie, that bro. Ever comes I don't out. fit. So, like, sports was always a part of my life. Football was going to happen. But growing up in a house with educators, growing up in a family of mm. educators, academics were always important. Mm. And then, if I'm being real, being a black kid in the South, you get this kind of push from your community, like, Bro, you already a step behind. You got to make sure you work even harder to earn and gain the notoriety that you deserve. So I found myself pushed even harder. So academics came easy, but they were also important to me. Mm -hmm. Athletics, super important to me. And then probably sixth grade, uh, I I was laughing about something in the car. And my mom was like, oh, don't laugh. You about to you about to play in the band, too. And I was like, excuse me? She was like, oh, no, you're going to learn an instrument. And I was like, but you don't play no instrument? You know, that's what I'm thinking. I ain't said it out loud at all. Yeah, I, you knew I, better. Yeah, I like my teeth. And so I was like, I was like, man, no, I don't want to play an instrument, mama. And she was like, no, you're going to play an instrument. So seventh grade comes, I'm in the band. Now, at that time, did you know music, that that was a special thing? Or was it just just another thing you were doing? I didn't know it was a special thing. Music was always fun. Got it. Always fun. There was never a moment where listening to music, playing music, hearing someone else sing, singing myself, like 
it was always fun. Got it. Always. So even though I played football and that was the bulk of my existence, music was right up there with it. And I really didn't notice for years. There's two threads that mm-hmm. seem to be happening. Mm-hmm. You said the picked on thread mm-hmm. and the pushed forward mm-hmm. thread, right? Which mm-hmm. kind of catapults you to leadership. Yeah, yeah. On the pick on thread yeah. and this aspect of not fitting quite in, how did that shape you? Bro, I have had a conversation recently with my therapist that rocked my world. She said, it seems like your entire life you have been looking for your people. And as it trickled down through my brain, I was like, my biological parent, my place in my home, my community, my school, athletics, on down the list, even to now with music. And I'm like, yo, that has been my journey. And so where I didn't fit in with those people, they pick on you. Where I was impressive to other groups, they pushed you. I had a teacher, Miss Martinez, white lady who was fresh out of college, and she was the powerful voice God used to push me in ways out of my shell Mm. that I was existing in. Like, oh, I got this shell to be protected and Mm. make sure that I'm safe out here. And here she comes along and she's like, If you keep living for the people pulling you back, you'll never go forward. Uh But there is so much ahead of you, you got to go after. And I didn't know it at the time, but she was a Christian. Uh So when she saw this young kid who was promising and yet unwilling to pursue that, she showed up and just started pushing and pushing. And so, man, she's the person who I credit with so much of what I've been able to experience in life. Gotcha. And by the way, thank you for sharing about therapy. I've also found it super helpful. And I think we need to really, anytime we can, diminish the stigma that people kind of associate with mental health. Very much so, bro. So apart from the revelation recently Mm -hmm. of that sense of yearning of finding your people, how did it manifest itself in the moment? Like, do you remember pain points in high school? Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the main things that stands out, which I think people will relate to, is not having my father involved in certain things. There's tons of kids with their dad, so I'm not in that group. And then I'm in the group of people who don't know their father and who isn't around, but it's different because my dad is not black and it's still weird because I look different than y'all. And it wasn't because of disinterest. No, at all. Right, so the story behind it is different. It's story behind it is different and it's it left the situation wanting. Like, Mm. oh, okay, I don't know what to do with this. I've found myself often feeling kind of stagnant or mm-hmm. or even uh, frozen, paralyzed, because there was never this assurity of where I was meant to be, therefore, where do I go? And there was no voice to affirm or direct and then affirm more. So I'm left kind of going, I guess I'm just going to figure this out on my own. Right. But how do you live being not just biracial, but being me? in this world that I exist in where most people told me I was adopted and then laughed because they thought it was, I didn't know it was a joke. I thought I was adopted forever. Until I was nine, I thought I was adopted. But then you fast forward more and you're like, I guess my dad is Hispanic because that's the only thing around here, light skin. So I guess I'm black and Mexican cuz. And so I'm literally befriending all these Mexican kids at school. I'm trying to figure out who I am, man. And then you get older and you feel the pain point of like, I don't fit in these groups. When I try to fit in these groups, I do, but it's not fully. It's not a a true fit. So I'm left feeling still on the outskirts. Mm. So where do I go? Who do I ask where to go? There's nobody. Mm. Mama held it down, but at the end of the day, it's like she can only do so much. And I'm like, I don't know where to go from here. Man, that's that's real. Cause I, it's a subtle thing, but it's a constant, almost nagging sense of no direction. It's yes. not even just that I can't go. It's just there's no one to point me Bro, in the direction. Exactly. I didn't have trusted, close voices right. to give me guidance in a lot of ways. So I, I was left up to my own devices, so to speak, which would honestly make me second guess myself, question what to do, so what and so on. But the one thing across the board that was consistent, football. It was just Mm. consistent, bro, since day one. So I grew up believing I'm going to the NFL. Uh Like, there is nothing that will stop me from doing this. I graduated high school with a 4.0 GPA. I was top 10 in my class. At the end of the day, I have the grades. I have the track record. I'm getting into Baylor. Mm. 
But I didn't know what Baylor sports was like. I just knew I loved the school itself. So I get there, and the first thing I do is try out for the track team. And the coach was like, come with me. Like, worked me out. And when the workout was over, he was like, we got you. Come on. And so he was like, if you can get through the indoor season, I'll give you a scholarship in the spring. Bet. Perfect. Football, I'm working out. Now that I'm on the track team, I have a reason to be at the stadium working out Uh in the weight room underneath. And so while I'm there working out with one of the classmates that's a freshman like me, the football coach comes in. My friend who I'm working out with plays football. And he's like, yo, why are you – who is this kid lifting what you lifting? You are a starting linebacker. What is this? And he was like, ah, oh, coach, it's not fair. He's Samoan. And he was like, are you now? <laughs> Ding. Are you now? And so he walks me back to the office, and the coach says, come here. Uh, now, what's your name? Where are you from? Why have we never heard of you? And I was like, I guess y'all don't come to East Texas like that. And so he was like, all right, we'll be here to, to try out. And so I did a workout with that coach, and he was like, you're in. All right. So what did that feel like to be in a place? Because now it's almost like you've you've been invited to a people. Yes. Now yes. Right? you have a people that yes. says we want you. So even as I'm growing up and trying to find my people, sports was it. Right. I loved football. I gave my life to it. Like mm. every day, bro, I'm working out twice a day. I'm studying plays. I'm watching film. I'm doing whatever I can do. I'm going to camps. I'm working out with my cousins who play in the NFL. Like whatever I can do to make it to the NFL, that's what I was trying to do. So it felt validating to get accepted on a collegiate level to a team and it have the potential to be like another family. Got it. And so in this moment, you are walking on campus Mm -hmm. and have an encounter with somebody. Oh, yeah, bro. Tell us about that. So I had an encounter as I leave. uh, It's called the sub, the student union building with a young man by the name of Keenan Akers. And Keenan was a native of Waco. Yeah. And so he walks on campus. He's a student as well, a freshman. And he comes up and he says, hey, bro, I heard you talking, you know, the jokes you made, the stuff you were saying to other people. I got to be honest, based on a lot of what you did, I would say the Bible would call that sin. That was his segue into sharing the gospel. <laughs> Off the top. Off the top. Cold call. Like, here we go. And I was like, okay. And I said, okay. And then I just looked at him. And he shares the gospel with me. And then when he's done, he says, would you like to accept Christ? And I said, hey, bro, you don't know me. You don't know me. Who you think you are judging me? You don't know who I am to God. You don't know what I've done to get here. Blah, 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 blah. And I was upset. I went from like a two, because I was a little like agitated, he stopped me, to like a 12. Uh-huh. And, and so I tell everybody, like, I politely moved him out of the way until he fell on the ground. And then I stepped over him and went to class. And this was post-freshman 50. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah, that yeah. polite move yeah, onto yeah, the I ground. I was not playing. I was like, like, I was upset. Wow. I was upset for real. And really looking back on it, I remember feeling shame and the enemy using shame as a tool to uh, trigger my insecurities. The whole time I'm looking for my people, I'm excited to be here, but I come from a background where, I mean, depending on the month, the lights could get turned off. Ain't nothing promised, like this could be taken away. So for you to come and say, not just you say it, but you like, God said, I'm not good enough or I'm not okay. I'm like, bro, you don't know me. Right. I don't appreciate this. So I went to class upset, bro, and it just like ruined the day. Mm. So then, what happens next? So uh, I go, I leave, I go work out. Back then, the stadium was off campus, like five miles, six miles away. Mm-hmm. So you had to catch a ride. I left class. I'm mad. I'm sitting in class upset. I'm not paying attention anyway. I leave class. I rush to go catch my ride. I'm late for them. I got to find another ride. Get to the stadium. Start working out. Coach says, hey, it's a light day. We're not going to do much. We're going to do weights and be done. So I run through the circuits, and then I'm done. And then my friend I was working out with from the beginning was like, hey, bro, I think you could uh, beat that squad record up there. I saw what you was working out with. And I was like, oh, one day? You know, just thinking like that and saying that. He was like, I think you could beat it today. And I was like, today you think so? He's like, yeah. So we put an extra amount of weight on the bar, and I go down, and pow, I get it back up. And I'm like, okay, okay. But listen, boys and girls, never max out after a workout. It is the dumbest thing to do on earth. And so after already running through these different circuits, I end up trying to max out on squat. I put enough weight on to where the bar bent a little. And I go down, and I don't come back up. 
And I tell everybody, like, I do it, I, I'm like, I hear a, a snap. But I heard the snap in my head more than I did outside in my ears, and it freaked me out. So I just dropped everything and fell. And they heard the rumbling, so the doc came in, and he was like, what was that? And so they moved the weight, they picked me up, and I'm like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And as I stand up, it hurts. The doc was like, don't walk, don't walk, and, you know, arms over the shoulders, two people on each side. They get me to the car, get me to the doctor. Uh, X-ray shows that um, I, I didn't know this, but I have scoliosis. My spine was curved in two places, or still is, but at the moment, my hips were rotated forward and the right one was facing out. And so the doctor's like, son, I don't know how you walked in here, let alone was lifting weights today. He said, listen, you got a couple choices. You can keep playing football or you can call it quits and be able to rehab what's going on with you. Now, you've already reached a certain age. You're 19. You might have reached the point where you can't really correct this, but now it's a matter of where you can make it manageable. And I was like, hmm, okay. And so I was like, well, there goes football because I want to walk. I want to not be in pain the rest of my life. So I give up football. In giving up football, I had to give up my scholarships. Potential of one, one that was on the way. And then... Without the scholarships, I can't afford to stay. My mom and my stepdad ended up getting a divorce during my freshman year. So there was no way to find extra money. So I'm taking out loan upon loan upon loan, trying to stay. And they keep raising tuition every semester. Not like every year. Every semester tuition mm -hmm. was going up. So I'm like, I can't afford to stay. I don't know what to do. But at the end of the day, I just know it's smarter to not keep hurting my body. So I stopped playing. And then I'm like, well, here we go. I'm at the lowest I've probably ever been in my life at this point. Mm. I'm literally sitting outside on a bench and Keenan walks back up to me again. Same dude that shared the gospel before. And he shares the gospel again. And this time I hear him. Wow. Like I remember him sharing, but what was said different in the second moment or encounter, he said, God wants a relationship with you. I had never heard that before. I heard about God. I heard about stuff in church, heard about stuff from people. But God always felt like the grandfather who on a good day would flip you a quarter and on the bad day, he just flip you off. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I thought that's how God was. I was like, yeah, he's just like a real weird old man that don't like you some days and some mm -hmm. days you do. And he said, no, God wants a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, bro. I tell everybody at that moment, I really believe the gift of faith was given. It felt like a warm embrace on the inside. Mm. And for the first time in my life, all of the hunting and searching, where do I belong? Where do I fit in? Can I achieve this? Will I fail at that? Went away and I felt peace. It was the weirdest thing. I was like, hey man, I, I want to be saved. And he was like, let's pray. And I prayed with him right there on campus, got up, walked to my dorm. And I remember sitting there like, what just happened? What just happened? Because it wasn't just like a social encounter. Mm -hmm. Something supernatural happened. It consumed my mind for my whole evening. Like I left, I went to go back to practice, to see people, went to rehab, came back. And I'm sitting there in my dorm room and I got this NIV Bible he gave me. And I just started, you know, you... <laughs> I'm a new Christian. I just grabbed the Bible. I'm like, all right, Lord, if you want to say something, speak. And you just open it randomly. Yes. It just popped open. But I remember reading about how hope does not make a shame mm. in Romans 5. And that was one of the first verses I read as a Christian. Wow. And I just remember reading that. And I was like, okay, so I won't be foolish for doing this. Hmm. And then the next day, Kenan comes and picks me up. And uh, he was like, here, I want to talk to you about this Bible verse that I just read. And it's the first Bible verse I memorized, and it was Galatians 2.20. It blew me away to think the life that I now live in the flesh, physically in my skin, in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It was so all-encompassing of everything mm. that I felt and believed in that moment, and it literally became my favorite verse. Like I was even a dude that left, went back to Houston, went on the north side of Dago's and got the hood tap with the scripture on it. Like, I'm like, this it right here, bro. I'm a Christian. It's my favorite verse. And so at that moment, like everything changed. Wow. Everything. When we come back, Tadashi will share how he started to find his people and his father after he started following Christ and how all this prepared him not only for his musical career, but also helped him walk 
through the hardest tragedy of his life. That's coming up next on Where You're From. If you're enjoying Where You're From, would you take a moment to write a quick review and give us some stars? Podcast platforms like iTunes and Google promote highly rated shows. So a one-sentence review of what this episode or show means to you and a quick five-star rating will help these important stories reach more people. Thank you for your help and keep listening for more of Where You're From. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Hey there, my name is Jade Gustafson, and I'm one of the producers for Where You From?, Before we jump back into our conversation with Tadashi, I wanted to share a quick teaser from our next episode with rapper and author Trip Lee. This is Where You're From. It certainly reshaped even how my ambitiousness expresses itself. And there's some ways that, you know, I've had to a few times be like, I don't know how to be me with these limitations because I'm like such a big dreamer and I'm ambitious. I cannot count on having whatever energy I have for that amount of time. And I feel like right now the Lord is teaching me to be more and more content with what I can do in this moment and then seeing what's next and being okay with that. Welcome back to Where You're From. I'm Rasul Berry, and in just a moment, we'll jump back into our conversation with Tadashi. But before we do, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description. They not only contain the talking points for today's show, but some links to learn more about Tadashi and his label, Reach Records. Also, keep an eye out for our conversations with other artists from Reach Records coming up on Where You're From. You can find these links in the show notes or by visiting whereyou'refrom.org. That's where, Y-A, from.org. Now let's get back into our conversation with Tadashi on Where You're From. It's amazing to hear how God met you at this very low point mm-hmm. and even use someone who previously, his approach was a bit rough, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know what I mean, to kind of come back with something that was medicine to your soul, yeah, bro. not just in that moment, but really throughout your whole life. Yeah. God wants you. Yes. He speaks yes. you to be his people. These my people. That's my real people. Wow. And, and that's my father. That's my father. All the while, God was orchestrating the path, using football, using family painful points and moments in history to get me to this moment. Like, I tell everybody, I went to Baylor to get saved, not to oh, get a degree. Wow. But speaking of that, because in the midst of that story, you had lost the scholarship and everything. Yeah. Did you ever finish that? I did. I did. I didn't finish at Baylor. Okay. I finished at the University of North Texas. Okay. All right. Now, let me ask you this, because up until this point, the music thing has kind of been in the backdrop in college. Yeah. When did that come back up? And how did that come back up in light of this new phase? So, music to me was always something fun. My mom listened to blues, soul, R&B pop. My stepfather was into country and blues. Uh-huh. That was it. I'm going to get home, and if he in a good mood, he going to have some country music playing. He in a bad mood, blues music playing, uh-huh. and you stay out of his way. It. So it's just like, that's all I knew. Then I get older, and I get exposed in band to all these different other styles, jazz, big band, even swing and ragtime. Uh-huh. I'm like, 
this is phenomenal, mm. you know? And then I learned about the Harlem Renaissance and the music, like it just blew my mind, bro. So music is what I was exposed to. And so when I got saved in college, that's when I really got into gospel music and mm. Christian music. Okay, so there was a certain talent show, opportunity this that brother, you had. You did your research, didn't you? Yeah, I want to skip over this. So, Tell us about the immediate. So Keenan says, all those freestyles you do in your room, rapping, why don't you write some of those down and rap about God, though? And he said it like it was a dope idea. I was <laughs> like, like, he made like, it up. He, like, he made it up. Like, it was going to be the most revolutionary thing ever. And I was like, write them down. Nah, bro, I'm good. Nope, you can't get no girlfriend rapping about Jesus, bro, I'm good. And he's like, no, trust me, it'll be amazing, man, promise you. I'm like, no, he pressed me for like two weeks. When I finally agreed, he said, good, because the AKA is doing a talent show, and we going to be oh in it. Oh, my God. What? No. And the AKAs, Alpha, Kappa, Alpha, Alpha. Sorority yep. Incorporated. Sorority Incorporated. Yes. So they doing a talent show. They've invited every minority organization on campus. Mm. Not just black. Every organization. Yeah. So there's going to be other Greek Letter fraternity yep. sororities. They're going to be athletes. Social They're going organs. to be, so, bruh, everybody. And so I'm like, no, I don't want to do this. He pressed me again, pressed me again. Finally, he convinced me I was good. And he convinced me that this would be a good moment for us. Sure. I write a song. <clears throat> I praise God I don't remember the lyrics of the song at all because people would ask, and I can honestly say before God, I don't know it. Do you remember the title? <laughs> but the title, though, bro, was called Are You Ready to Be Down with Christ Tonight? Question mark. And there was a comma between Christ and tonight. Tonight. Are you ready to be down with Christ tonight? <laughs> like, are you? So the title tells you how bad the song was. Oh, it was so bad. Out of seven contestants, we got sixth. Weren't good at all. So a dude on the track team with me grew up in church. He played keyboard. He played bass, all this. He makes a beat on his keyboard. Mm -hmm. And then we have to put a microphone up to the keyboard to let the beat go through the system. Meanwhile, while someone's holding the mic down to it, because there's no boom stand for the mic, somebody holding the mic, he playing the keys. And meanwhile, he's also recorded a track with a bass that he's playing with a radio next to it. So the microphone is catching the keyboard music and the stereo, the radio bass recording. And then my dude Keenan is singing because he can sing. He's singing the chorus and I'm rapping. This is, you know, late 90s in hip hop. Every song had three verses. Yes. I'm doing a three verse, four and a half minute song called Are You Ready to Be Down with Christ? Tonight? Tonight. But when it was all said and done, people came up and they, you know, they give you that Easter Sunday speech encouragement. Hey, good job, baby. Hey, way to go, brother. Hey, that took courage. The best one was, hey, you was up there. <laughs> hey, hey, you was up there, brother. I was like, statement of fact. Statement of you fact. You did that. Yeah, I was like, whoa. <laughs> I said, it was that bad, wasn't it? And I looked at Keenan and I was like, bro, what did you do to me? Mm -hmm. And I went to my dorm, embarrassed, upset. My friends teasing me while we get back to the dorm room. I'm like, whatever, man. All right, cool. Two, maybe three weeks later, I get a knock on my apartment door. Who is it? And my man, Bron, knocks on the door. He said, man, I opened the door. I said, yo, what's up? Now, he played football for the school. We not friends. We don't talk. I don't even know why you're here. Matter of fact, I'm actually terrified a little bit because mm -hmm. you like a thug for real. Mm -hmm. Like, look, bro, he walked in. He sat down. I said, yo, I'll give you something to drink. You don't know what to do. I'm being nervous. Like, hey, would you like a beverage? How, how can I help you? And he says, I see the talk. And he broke. And I was like, oh, my, what is going on right now, Lord? And he said, man, let me tell you, bro, I'm facing a drug charge, a gun possession charge, my girl pregnant, my folks cut me off. I have nothing. When I lose this scholarship, I'm going to jail. Mm -hmm. I need help. I said, what? Meanwhile, in my mind, I'm like, what about me told you I would know what to do with this? Mm. Like, I just got lawyers like ready on deck. Like, well, I know a good bells bondsman, bro. I can help you out. I said, why do you want to talk to me? He said, man, I saw you at that talent show. And I said, man, anybody who would get up and do something like that, they must really love their God. And when he said that, it mm. hit me. I was like, oh, you serious? And so I prayed with him. 
I shared the gospel with him. I talked to him about what I knew from scripture. And then I told him about my experiences Mm -hmm. with the legal system. And then after that, he left. And like, he didn't come back to school in two weeks. Like two weeks later, he was gone. I never seen him again. And so I told Keenan about it. And he said, it worked. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I only wanted you to do the talent show because it would bring distinction. Now everybody doesn't know you as the party guy or the football guy or the crazy guy. They know you as the Christian. And I was like, that's diabolical. <laughs> what? How did you know this? Wow. But he knew early on, like, it's not enough that you get to run around and share the gospel with your friends. Mm. They can reject that. But when you make public stances, mm-hmm. it draws a line in the sand. Mm. People are either going to say, oh, this dude is real. I don't want anything to do with that, or I do. Or, you know what, he probably still playing games and we don't know. Mm. So I stood up in front of everyone who had social collateral in my world and announced to them through one of the worst songs ever written, <laughs> I was a Christian. Wow. And I love Jesus and I meant it. So Keenan says, hey, I think it'd be good for you to reach out to your pops. Remember, you could share the gospel with him. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, well, I could, bro. That'd be dope. So I, uh, through a service that looks for people called 1-800-US-SEARCH, I use their service. The woman I called at the service, she said, now, why do you want to find your father? What are you trying to do? And I was like, is this a part of the service? Like, what is, <laughs> what is she doing? And so through the conversation, we get further in and she says, well, just so you know, because I tell her my whole story, testimony, whatever. She said, well, just so you know, I'm a Christian too. Mm. She says, I'm going to pay for this for you. Mm. She said, I'm going to pray for you. She said, you're my first call at work today. I feel like God did this on purpose. So I'm going to pay for it. Mm. You in college, save your money. She, mm. I, look, I didn't even know it cost money. So she pays for it. And six weeks later, a letter comes in the mail with a list of names, with phone numbers. So I call these different numbers. The first two, no one spoke English. The second one, the man didn't speak English, but the wife did. Come to find out that was my dad's brother. It was my uncle. Uh She says, okay, I don't know you, but if anyone knows what you're talking about, it'll be Lepe, your dad's sister. Let me give you that number. Gives me a number that's not on the sheet to my aunt who lives in Huntington Beach, California. Bro, I was like, hey, how you doing? You're the third person I called and basically wanted to speak to somebody about me trying to find my father. His name is this. And she said, oh, yeah, I know. I know him. That's your dad. And I said, yeah. And she said, "Okay, well, I don't know anything about this. And unfortunately, my husband doesn't speak English very well. So you would have to talk to somebody else. And I'm willing to connect you. Wow. Sure, please. So she gives me the number. So I call the next number and I go, hello, my name is blah, blah, blah. I'm calling you for X, Y, and Z. And my auntie says, your dad was right. And I said, what? And she said, yeah, he's been saying for years he's had a son somewhere, but he had no clue where. Mm. And she said, this is crazy. You don't know. We have been praying for you. Mm. And I was like, wow, okay, thank you. And she said, well, unfortunately, there are no phones on the island where your dad lives, but you can write him a letter. And I said, sure. She said, let me give you the address. So I get the address and I write a letter to my dad. I basically intro with like, hey, I know you don't know me, but uh, according to my mom, comma, her name, I'm your son. My name is Tadashi. And I go through where I'm from, where I grew up, some of the people he may know, my uncle who he was in the army with, all this stuff. And then I share my testimony. And I'm like, this is why I'm writing you, because God did blank. And I write my whole testimony out. It's like six pages. And so when it was done, I send it off. Another like six to eight weeks goes by. And I honestly had forgotten I did it by that time. And right before Christmas break, I get mail and they bring it to me. And it's uh, six letters rubber band together. Open the letter on top. And it's a letter from my dad, basically sharing his excitement and singing the praises of the Lord that this had just happened. And then the other letters were from my siblings on my father's side. And they all wrote letters to be like, yo, dad's always talked about you. This is crazy that we met. And so I don't know where the island is. All I know is you live on an island. I didn't realize Samoa was in the South Pacific. 
and that it is closer to Australia than it is America. Mm-hmm. So my man don't even live in the same hemisphere. <laughs> so I'm just like, all right, well, one day we'll meet, but this is cool. I got some letters. But I, I look through it all, and I'm just like, yo, this is wild, and I'm blown away. Mm-hmm. Keenan says, this is crazy. God really did this. He said, I prayed for this. And I was like, I ain't pray for it, but I was willing to try it. Yeah. And he said, bro, you got to meet him. And I was like, no, I don't know him. He live on an island. I don't know where that is. He was like, you got to meet him. And so because it's the late 90s, everything is calling cards. Mm. So I had to go buy a calling card, call the number on the letter, speak for two minutes. And then you hear the little voice, your time is expired. Mm. And I was just like, all right, I'm at least play this game back and forth and then write another letter. Well, probably three or four months later, phone lines were installed on his island and two houses had phones. And he calls me on that phone from the number, told me what time to be there in the letter. So I'm waiting. I get the call and we talk for about 10 minutes, maybe enough time for him to tell me that he's going to send me a ticket to come see him for spring break. So spring break comes around. He sends me a ticket and I fly from Texas to California, California to Hawaii, Hawaii to Samoa. I've been traveling all day. I get there, I land, and I walked off that plane. It was insane, bro, to walk in a space and everybody look like you. Mm. It was the weirdest feeling on earth. I've never had that. Mm. I was blown away. I get in the airport, I'm seeing everybody that looks like me, but I see this one person and I'm like, that's him. Mm. That's gotta be him. And I walk up to him, I ask his name, he says yes, he says my name, and he just hugs me and cries for at least 10 minutes. Like to the point to where it went from like a special moment to like an awkward. Hey bro, can you get off me please? I just met you, please. Like, oh, don't do this. It felt weird for real, but it was weird because a thing you never thought would happen and somewhat didn't care if it did, ended up being something that you realized you wanted all along. And then to see that he wanted it so much he wanted that it. he is responding even with a deeper sense of emotion Bruh, than you are. That I am. That yes. freaks you out too. That freaked me out. Because that's above and beyond what you could have imagined. Well beyond it. And so he's already a Christian. So when he hugged me, he let go and he was like, wow, wow, let's pray. And we prayed right there. Wow. Left, got in a truck, went to the village to meet my family. I can't describe what it was like. The horror the, the fear, the insecurity, the joy, the excitement, the anticipation, all of it there waiting to boil over into something significant, bro. It was insane. And then in Samoan culture, festivals and parties are a big deal. In Samoan, it's called a fia fia. So fia fia is their idea of a, like a luau. And so my dad threw this big party for my birthday, invited the whole village. I mean, 60 people in the village, but I mean, the entire village came. All of them brought me gifts. Everybody cooked. In Hawaii, they put a a hog on a spigot, spin it. In Samoa, they dig a hole in the ground and they create an underground oven. And so they cooked the hog that way. And like, I'm basically, like literally my dad met me, engaged me, prayed with me spoke to me a few times and then pretended like I was already there and threw me into everything. Hey, we need a hog. Go catch one with your brothers. So praise <laughs> God for my background yes. in rodeo. I know like, ah, hey, for real. No, I'm for real. It was full circle. So I go wild boar hunting on the island with my brother with just a knife. It was the most surreal thing ever. But I leave, I go back home. I have this experience. And then to this day now, He's in my life. Hmm. We have a relationship. And my man is a sincere believer. Mm -hmm. And one of the examples I have when it comes to how to persevere in faith, because he's a man who his first wife passed away from breast cancer. And then two of my sisters have passed away. Hmm. And so he knows what it means as a husband and a father to suffer through loss. Hmm. And I'm just like, all right, all right, pops, how'd you do this? Tell Hmm. me what you did. And so what already felt like a closeness because of blood and because of faith and experience now even more so feels like a bond. Wow. And speaking of that sense of loss Mm -hmm. as a husband and a father, that's something else that has been a part of your story. Very much so, bro. Very much so. Fast forward in the story from meeting my dad, Baylor, all this other stuff. Like I said, I moved to Denton. 
moved to Dallas from Houston. That's where I met Lecrae. That's where I met Shobaraka, BJ, Dahadi, all these different people. How did you meet Lecrae and the rest yeah, of the Yeah, yeah, So I meet Lecrae and show, and we're just rapping for fun. Friends doing music. Now, I didn't know this at the time when I met him. Cray was always like, yo, I want to do hip-hop. I've been wanting to do it forever. I'm going to be Diddy one day. Like, that's his thing. Show was like, yo, I've been rapping forever. Like, this is what I do. I thought it was fun. In my mind, I was like, it's just like anything else. If you just try hard enough, I guess you could do it. They would say, no, God has graced you with talent in multiple things. Don't downplay that. Like, not everyone can just do this. I, on the other hand, was like, everybody can rap. What y'all talking about? Like, it's just fun. Watch this. And, you know, so we quickly jumped into like a friendship because of our faith, the ministry we was part of, the school we went to, and furthermore, I think because of the love we all had for music. Mm -hmm. And I think that love drew us even closer together. Mm -hmm. So we started doing hip hop, and I mean, we was doing Christian hip hop really off the strength of like it being an extension of who we were already in our yeah. college ministry and the passion we had to do music regardless. Mm -hmm. like it was just there. Fast forward, us doing music in the way that we've done it, the capacity to which we've been able to do it, I ain't had no plan for that. So everybody had their relationship to music and hip hop and they were able to do certain things. Right. I was a person who really loved being a wordsmith yes. and I loved a certain style being from the South. Midwest South, there's always been this relationship where mm -hmm. fast rap, speed was always a thing. Right. I wanted to do that. I just was like out here doing it, having fun. And I recognized to be able to rap that fast wasn't common. To be able to do it with a level of intentionality, with the vocabulary that I liked to use wasn't common. There was this brashness, this boldness, this abruptness that I entered in with that I don't think was common in our space. And so all those things combined, it garnered a level of attention. But what people also said, which I didn't know at the time, they were like, you have a voice that commands the room. Yes. I didn't know this. Right. I just thought, I like doing it. People listen. I don't know. So fast forward, while I'm rapping with these different friends, I recognize there are certain things that they do well that I celebrate. And yet there are things that I enjoy doing that on my most arrogant day, I would still struggle to say I'm amazing at. But I feel like I'm good at this. Right. So let's go. Now, even though music had this special place in my heart, music to me took a backseat to ministry. Like I knew like, man, God saved my soul. I got to tell everybody about this. I just got to. And so the more I did music, the more the music became a part of an artistic side of me. Mm -hmm. Initially, the music was a means to an end. And now I think the music is both the thing that glorifies God and the way in which I choose to wield it is the thing that glorifies God. Mm. And so through all of that, I told myself, man, I just want to do this and be faithful to the Lord. And honestly, God, if I can travel and talk about you, I'll do it the rest of my life. Mm. That was a prayer I had in 2004. Mm. 2005, I start working on music. 2006, I put out my first album. I put out my album in the fall. That summer, I had 27 concerts in one month, and I had no album out. Wow. Like, multiple requests, but 27 bookings. And I was like, why, God? What are you doing? So I sat with my wife, Danielle. We talked. We prayed. And I was like, I'll give it a year. Let's see what happens. And that was 14 years ago. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, and I, I mean, would you say Dum Dum was one of the heights of that experience yes. in terms of... Yeah. Yes. So I have a song called Dum Dum on the Black Light album. I tell everybody, Kingdom People opened the door. Right. Identity Crisis gave me a career. Black Light solidified that career. And one of the biggest songs on there, and really probably the biggest song in my career, is this song called Dum Dum. Now, I didn't see it that way. I thought Dum Dum would just be a fun record to do at a concert. But Ben and Lecrae, Ben Washer, owner of Reach Records, Lecrae, didn't want me to do the song. Initially, they was like, that's not you. That's not your style. You Southern, you this, you this. And I said, granted, I have been doing Southern hip hop. However, I grew up loving all kinds of music. I grew up doing all kinds of music. 
I'm okay doing this. And Ben was like, I don't know, bro. So I was like, well, I can show you better than I can tell you. So I left, wrote my verse, came back, and then I told Lecrae, I, I knew this much. If I do this song on my own, it will be a hard sell for some people based on what Ben just said. I recognize his point is valid to an extent. But if I put a West Coast influenced artist like Lecrae on a West Coast sounding track, it will be a better opportunity for people to swallow this pill. So I was like, Cray, you want to do it with me? And he was like, you killed your verse. I can't deny it. Like, let's do it. So he came in the studio one night. He recorded his based on what he did on his. I went and rewrote mine because you're not going to outshine me on the song. <laughs> so I went and rewrote my verse, came back, and he was like, oh, you killed it even more. Then we played it for Ben, and Ben was like, I was wrong. All right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And so we put the song out, and honestly, I didn't know what it would do, but it kept going kept going, kept going, kept going. So much so that now I get texts from friends, like one friend visited Columbia, went to a Zumba class and they was like, you know they play Dumb Dumb four times in Zumba? Like, I don't even like that song that much. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, I didn't know. But like, it's everywhere, bruh. I had no clue it was gonna do that. So God has given us this platform, all these different things that I never knew would happen. And then it all comes to this screeching halt when I leave to go do a show and my wife calls me and she tells me that my one-year-old son, Chase, didn't make it. Now, I don't know what didn't make it mean. When I left, he was there and fine. I get ready to come back and I'm getting ready to, to exit the plane after landing back in Dallas. And she says on the phone, he didn't make it. When you land on a flight, it's usually quiet. Taking off, there's talking and noise and whatever else. But when you land, it's quiet. There's this somber, chill vibe when you land on a flight, typically. And I disrupted all of that. All I remember is wailing. It wasn't like a yell, but it was wailing. And I just punched the wall as hard as I could. But on the flight, I tried to share the gospel with the woman next to me. Hmm. And I only got so far. It was like 10 a.m. She was lit. I mean, she was sauced. And I was just like, all right, lady, well, I guess that's as far as we can get. Well, we land, and I realize now God had me talk to her because he knew what was coming for me. In the gospel message, I just told her, at the end of the day, just have faith. Mm. Stop worrying about who hypocrites are, Mm. who the people that failed you here, who did this. Right now, just between you and God, God says, just have faith. Just believe. And she struggled with that. And then when she saw what I was going through, she literally stood up and put her arm around me and was rubbing my back. And she was like, just have faith. And then she started crying. She was like, just have faith, just have faith, just have faith. And no one moved. Everybody let me get off the plane. (laughs) I got off the plane. I remember going to the airport, getting in the car with my sister, a younger lady was like a sister in the faith, going to the house, walking in the door, seeing my wife and just, breaking and we leave we go in the room i don't leave my room for three days Uh, we don't eat all we do is pray sleep cry pray sleep cry and my mom shows up that night and then three days later as i come out of the room she's like you gotta eat something i was like no i'm good and so she gives me a plate and i remember turning with the plate and then my pastor was there and shout out bo hughes he handled everything he was like you don't want to talk about this, but we got to talk about this. You got to plan a service. We have to do this. And I was like, nope. And I went in the room with the food. I just remember crying into the plate. And then probably two hours later, I went back out, sat with him, did everything, went back in the room. And my small group was amazing. Bo Hughes killed it. He was there for us. Ben and Lecrae were there. Lecrae, Keenan, and Bo planned everything. Mm. We just showed up. And so I tell everybody, I have been around the world sharing the gospel. I've traveled everywhere doing music. I've been to every state in this country. I've been to all but two continents. I have done more in my life through sharing the gospel through music than I ever thought I would. I expected a king's ransom. God, this, not me. Mm. I mean, yeah, sure, it can happen, sure, but not me. Mm. God, look at what I did. Look what I've done. And that thinking put me on this downward trajectory into depression, into doubt, into all of it. (laughs) And it's 
taken years to climb out of it. Mm. Man, thank you so much for sharing. And the thing that I see that's a powerful connection is how God allowed your faith to pay it forward. All the steps along the way, this conversation with Keenan, you know, at your lowest point in your injury, which leads him to encourage you to reach out to your father, Mm -hmm. a man that is also acquainted with grief, finding your family, your community, your people, and then at your greatest moment of need that all of those people in the community be in there for you. Yeah, bro. That to me is a very powerful picture of what God intended the entire time I was looking for a place to belong. Mm -hmm. And I tell people now, I feel like that's been the journey. I'm not going to say the answer is like, everybody's your people. Like, I'm not going to say that. But like different seasons, God provides groups that I now belong to. Mm -hmm. I'm still a proud band nerd athlete. Like, I'm still proud of that. At the end of the day, I'm also a part of this other group of people who know what it means to suffer in that way. I went to a church service in Irving. It was basically a tree ornament service. You order an ornament early online when you register for the event, and they create one. It has your loved one's name that you lost, their birth date, and what me and my wife call their glory day, and you hang it on the tree. Mm -hmm. And they walk around and say their names. And I'm sitting down at this event, and this woman is next to me. I get up, I walk, I do the ornament with my wife, I sit back down. My wife is on my left, I'm in the center, and the woman is on my right. And then she gets up, and she walks, and she comes back and sits down. I see her, but you know, it's a somber moment, and we're definitely reflecting on life and just everything. And and it's fresh. This just happened to us. And this woman sits down, and she starts bawling, and she falls on my shoulder. Pretty soon, she's like on my chest. I'm definitely compassionate and consoling. And at the same time, I'm looking at Danielle like, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And she says, just just wait, just wait. And so I find a handkerchief, give it to her. She wipes her eyes. And she says, (laughs) I know I'm going to cry. She said, thank you. I'm sorry I did that. But this day was more necessary than I realized. I go, oh. She said, that's the first time. (laughs) I can't even get it out. (laughs) She said, that's the first time someone has said my son's name out loud besides my own voice in 30 years. Mm. I cry for her. I cry for that moment. I'm like, oh, my Lord. To your kids, whenever you leave here, you'll forever be significant. But nobody says your name no more. Mm. Like, nobody? So it wrecked me. It still wrecks me. Mm. So I said, what's his name? She said, Brian. And I was like, praise God for Brian. Mm. Every time I say it, I'll think of you. Mm. She was like, thank you. Mm. She cried. We cried. She hugged me. And then I said, I don't want that to ever be Chase. So I'm going to say his name all the time. And whoever wants to talk about it can talk. So the one thing I want to help people understand is tears, grief, in my opinion, is love persisting. So to ignore what is causing the tears says more about your insecurities than it does the person. Mm -hmm. So talk about it in a kind way with understanding. But I'm like, I'll talk about Chase in a heartbeat. It Mm -hmm. don't matter. We can talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I know it's weird and new for people, Mm -hmm. but I do. And I'm like, we're going to talk about it. So I did a whole album called Below Paradise because I wanted to talk about it. I was like, that'll never be Chase. And I did a song called Chase Mm. because I'm like, they're going to say his name. It's just going to happen. I will go chasing you, trusting you, hoping you forever, forever. When I first held you, I cried. If I would've known a year later I wouldn't have you in this life I would've never let you go, just held you close One of the few things that really mattered to me most Seems unfair, our life treats us down here We grow attached to the very people that can disappear I would do anything to have you back again One more smile, just one more kiss To hear you cry When you don't get your way I never knew to cherish that And now it seems too late At least it feels that way I never forget I keep holding on until I see you again You give and you take Through it all I will chase after your heart 
And I would play with you Your smile would be the only thing that helped me make it through So many things I want to say to you But I guess that heaven couldn't wait for you I dreamed of a life that would last past mine Now, when I wake up, I wish that I could stop time He gives and takes away, what more can I say? I just trust and hope that he'll make everything okay I know there's never been a day that he didn't love me Even now it's hard to see, but he's there above me And every time I think about it, I know you're with him So I'll keep holding on, till I see you again Then you take through it all I will chase after your heart Not your hand When my heart don't understand I will go chasing you Trusting you Where You're From is part of the Voices Collection from Our Daily Bread Ministries.